everybody. Welcome to this week's roundup. I got new merch. Ariel over at Artistic Pixels just got a couple of new awesome t-shirts. I got this one, RGB in the front. Check it out in back. Looks great. And I also got another one that was kind of Super Nintendo styled. I think they're absolutely awesome and I really love the design. So if you want one of those, definitely check out the link in the description. It's just retrorgb.link forward slash t-shirts. And that's it. But uh, I'm really digging these. So thanks a lot to Ariel and the team. Uh, but anyway, let's jump in and see what's going on this week. First up, the Japanese-only PlayStation 1 game Germs just got a full English translation that was actually based off of a Spanish translation from 2021. The full name translated is Germs the Targeted Town, and it's an open-world horror adventure game that's very text-heavy. So if you wanted to experience this strange early 3D graphics kind of spooky game, unless you spoke Japanese or Spanish uh, as of the 2021 translation, you weren't able to do it. So this is an English translation, which should open the doors to a lot more people to be able to experience this. And the uh, the team that did the translation warned that the player in the hacks text file has some dialogue that may appear clunky or out of context, but I think that's totally fine. I think you know, I think almost everybody who plays these English translations realizes what effort goes into them, and it probably wouldn't be nitpicky about little things like that, unless it was from like a bug reporting standpoint, in which as nerds, that's good that we do that. But yeah, this is cool. I love to see English translations, and this seems like a very strange game, and I mean that in a good way, you know, just because something's weird doesn't mean it's bad. I'm weird, so whatever. But yeah, this one's cool. So if you want more info, definitely check out Donald's post. Next up, Retro Gaming Cables just opened pre-orders on a new SCART switch. This is a 6x1 design that was based off of the one originally designed for the RetroTank 5X that I did a lot of tests with. I did a live stream. I also followed up with some more tests, and it was a great cheaper switch. If you were looking for just a basic push-button entry-level switch, that was my number one go-to for a while, and now it's probably going to be this one because it's essentially the same thing, but instead of a, a plug-style SCART port that goes directly into the RetroTank, which you could still use that one in many other scenarios, as I showed in the post, um, this one just has a standard socketed SCART output, so you would need a cable to go with it. Uh, I guess you could try to use the, uh, the SCART coupler, but depending on your setup or the size of your scaler, that might not work too well. But it just looks like a good SCART switch. It looks like it's going to be the same one as the other one, but just without a plug style, just the receptacle style, which is exactly what so many people need. Because while I'm a huge fan of, obviously, the G-SCART switch and its sync regeneration and uh, sync on green stripping is absolutely amazing if you need that functionality. And the Games Care switch is also excellent if you're looking for a fully automated switch with those extra app controls and everything. But what if you just want a basic push button switch? There's no disrespect meant to those others. It's just not everybody wants or cares about any of those features. So what about just a basic push button switch? And this is it. The only other thing to note is there's a 3.5 millimeter audio output as well as the SCART output which is perfectly safe to use them both at the same time. There's a lot of misinformation about that, and I proved it in a video with Steve from HD Retrovision where we put everything on an oscilloscope. And yes, you could use both audio outputs at the same time, and it might have a little bit of an audio buzz. You might get some distortion, but it is safe for your equipment to do. So if you needed something like SCART going to a scaler but audio going to a separate set of speakers, you could easily just use that other output 
for it without worrying about anything else. So definitely check this one out. The price is 65 plus shipping. It's a pre-order, but they'll start to ship next month. And I hope to get one just to test and check out myself because uh, these seem like the go-to switch for anybody that wants just an entry-level quality, reliable switch. If you want to see the other testing I did, I have a detailed post on the original version as well as a live stream, so you're welcome to check that stuff out if you want the details of how a switch like this would work, but for now I'm just assuming it works exactly the same, just with a different output connector. Over the past few weeks, I have been beta testing developer Infidelity's latest NES to SNES conversion, this time for the game Mega Man, and it was absolutely awesome. I love beta testing these, I love providing feedback, and we found a couple of bugs which he had fixed basically immediately. The last one was fixed while I was still streaming, and then I just reset the game with a new ROM, and we finished it off with no bugs at all, so it was actually a very fun experience. It's nearing public release. Right now, if you want to beta test it, you have to sign up for the developer's Patreon, but all of this work is released for free as soon as it's done and out of beta, and much like with the Mr. Cores and stuff like that, I'm a huge fan of this stuff, because you don't want to release your work to the public and have everybody go, it's broken. It's not broken. It's a beta. It's in the middle of being tested, so I get it, um, and I, I fully support this, and I hope that you do consider signing up for Infidelity's Patreon, because I want to see more of these. I don't even know what games are left that are as important as his previous ones. Mega Man 2, Mega Man 4, DuckTales, The Original Legend of Zelda, and Metroid, which was a massive conversion. Just, it was a, felt like a completely different game. And while the original Mega Man doesn't feel like a different game, it definitely has all of the advantages. No sprite flicker or reduced to almost nothing. No slowdown. The only note is that you will find slowdown in the underwater because it's not slowdown. It's a game mechanic to make you feel sluggish like you're underwater. Um, I, I ranted about this in Weekly Round up number 361 and about how important this is and how people very quickly overlook like oh you just ported it to work on the SNES would you just use that project nested and and while I love project nested no this is a manual conversion with a lot of a lot of enhancements this one you have the choice of a couple of different soundtracks um, and there's some more things that the developers been working on behind the scenes I'll, I'll wait till that's public to show but if you want to see it in action that final live stream that I did is definitely uh, definitely a good representation of what to expect. Also, if you're a nerd, if not, you know, you could skip this last little quick part, but I learned something kind of interesting about SNES consoles when beta testing this. In the very first stream, the game often crashed after dying. Now, the developer fixed that immediately, but I was trying to figure out why it was happening. And I kind of abused my consoles because I'm constantly unplugging, plugging, trying this thing, trying this mod. So I thought maybe the console had some kind of issue with it. But I, so I loaded up some test software and it passed all of it except one. And at the end of the stream, I went in and tested, I think it was the burn-in software for SNES, and it kept crashing on the same SNES, but not others, including another SHVC revision. So right after the stream ended, I realized, hey, somebody had made me a test cartridge with that burn-in ROM on it 10 years ago or something. So I dug it up, I plugged it in, and none of the tests crashed, even though it did with the FX Pack Pro. So apparently I found 
not a motherboard revision, but a CPU revision. Because remember that even though there's two SHVC motherboards, it could be CPU revision A, B, whatever. So there was a mix of the FX Pack Pro's firmware, the CPU revision, and that test ROM that caused the crash. And it may have been contributing to what I was finding with Mega Man, but that was already polished up anyway, so it didn't matter. But I just thought that was so neat because out of all the testing I've done over all the years of retro RGB and even owning one as a kid, I, I never realized there could be that exact combination of things that could cause failures. So if you have any weirdness with your setup, try a different firmware for the FX pack, try an original cartridge. Um, I'm not talking about these conversions. I'm just talking about in general with your SNES setup, but I thought that was really neat. And so the first thing I did in the second stream was to load up that test cartridge and demonstrate it. So if you want to see it in action, the end of the first stream, the beginning of the second, uh, and then this final stream I did, uh, if you just skip to the 16-minute mark for actual gameplay, the first part was me testing some crazy new direct video solutions, and you know me, I can't just stream a game. I have to make it a, a test bed setup and go crazy with new products on it or whatever. But anyway... Um, I'm a huge fan of these conversions. I can't wait to see what he does next. And if you want to check this out, check out the live stream. We're just waiting for it to go public fairly soon. Lou from Lou's Retro Source just posted an awesome tutorial video showing you how to connect your mister to a PC via Groovy Mister. And it was great to see this process walked through step by step. It was also very cool to see Lou demo some of the games. And uh, he even did a slow motion video of... The, both the CRT, which was the Mr. Outputting to a CRT, as well as the LCD panel, which was connected to the PC, and it showed the CRT was rendering before the LCD panel. Now, <clears throat> that could be the LCD latency itself. Maybe they're rendering at the same time, but that still proves what Calamity was saying about there only being a few milliseconds of latency going across a wired network out the mister. So this really is an awesome way to be able to use MAME and some other stuff on a CRT if you already own a mister. Now, obviously, I'm not going to tell you build a gaming PC and then build a mister just to stream one through the other. But if you already have a PC that you're using that's connected to your network and you already own a mister, this is a very cool way to see MAME functionality. And once again, I still I love what this is today, but I also can't wait to see where this project goes to because I'd love to play AM2R this way. I'd love to stream videos this way. I just think there's so many cool ways to go about this. And at some point, I will be creating a VM on my Unraid server and trying to do it that way over the network. Uh, I, I don't know when I'll have time to do that, but I'm really looking forward to it because that would mean that anybody with some kind of server in their house, I, Unraid's been my favorite for the past couple of years, but you could just create a VM build it like that. I mean, you could obviously do that on a regular PC too, if you have it running 24-7, but I don't know. This is There's so much potential for this, and this is such a great way to experience games that don't have cores, FPGA cores yet, and uh, what a cool way to hold this off until that happens. So definitely check out Lou's video for absolutely all the details, and he even put uh, a bunch more info in the post as well. So thanks to everybody who works on these things. It's so cool to be able to get this functionality now, and it's also really cool to see more MAME Mr. Crossover stuff like this. Tito from Macho Nacho Productions just posted an awesome overview video of the MemCard Pro 2, which is the memory card that works with both the PS1 and PS2, so it supersedes the original MemCard Pro. It has Game ID for both, 
And it also has a really easy way to integrate uh, integrate free McBoot, as well as GSM, OPL, and all that other stuff that wasn't hard to install, but you at least needed to start with some way to boot Homebrew on your PlayStation 2 or buy one pre-configured. So the fact that it's already, that functionality is easy to do is absolutely incredible. I'll be honest, I held off on doing a video on that. I've had my, uh, I've had my Memcard Pro 2 since they shipped a while back because I talked to Tito and I thought he would do a great job with this and he did. The video was absolutely awesome, so I'm super happy to see this out. Um, I believe these are either in stock or if they just sold out, they're probably going to be back in stock soon. Uh, there's a link right here inside Tito's post as well as a ton more information. Um, so I would basically reference both. I'd watch the video and then come back and read the post, or if you're at work and can't watch a video, do it the opposite way. But lots of info in here. The only thing to note is the MCP2 can't be used as a way to load games. So that means um, at the moment, there are other ways to boot games off of an SD card through the front memory card. Uh, Tito did a video on that a while back as well, but it's not able to run on the Memcard Pro 2 yet. However, there are some things that, some limitations of that where it might not be the best idea. So it's still better to add a hard drive or my vastly preferred method is just using RetroNAS because you just dump your ISOs in a folder on your network and it does all the work for you. So uh, either way, you're going to need to use boot games that way. Or I guess if you also have one of the memory cards with an SD card built in, you could still do that. But... I don't know, if you don't own one of those yet, I would definitely try one of the over-the-network versions, including if you don't have a, a need for RetroNAS at all, you can just use a Raspberry Pi to connect to the Ethernet port. Tito also did a video on that. So check all that stuff out, check out his post, but really, I'm, I'm just so glad the Memcard Pro 2 got highlighted in a, a high-profile video like this because it is an awesome device. And I think... If you're even remotely serious about PlayStation 2 and PlayStation 1 gaming, this is something that you should own. And there's even a way to transfer saves back and forth from your PlayStation 3. And to echo what Tito said in the video, sure, there's other devices that are, can do that that are all more expensive than the Memcard Pro 2. So even if you just needed a way to transfer saves back and forth from a PS2 to a PS3, this is still the thing to buy. I don't know. I could go off on how much I like this thing for a while, but I'd rather just have you watch Tito's video because it's better than I could do anyway. So go check that out. Now it's time for this week's Mr. Updates, Care of Lou from Lou's Retro Source. As usual, I'm just going to skim through these, give my thoughts where I feel necessary, and if you want any of the details and visual examples, please go back and watch Lou's video. First up, Jimmy Stones is back working on the Atari Jet Fighter Core. It's playable, but there's still some work that needs to be done for sound. Next, Hans has started porting Mr. Cores over to the Mystex platform, and there are some of the earlier arcade boards at the moment, but it's looking very promising, and there's still some more updates uh, and some more things to come with that hardware that Hans was talking about. Next, the SNES Tang is getting a menu system rewrite for version 0.3, and a RISC-V Softcore was added to handle menu and I.O. The Softcore also opens the door to other features like save states, cheats, button remapping, resolution settings, and more. So this is one step closer to having a pretty cheap SNES FPGA console, which I think is great. Imagine if if we could have that in like a, a little case that kind of looks like those Raspberry Pi cases we got back in the day. So you have something that looks like a mini SNES 
and but it actually plays like a real SNES would, not like the software emulation versions. I, I don't know. That's very exciting to me. I don't know why, because I own a Mister. I just think it would be so cool if I could just tell my friends like, uh, oh hey, I want to play my old Super Nintendo games. You know, my my console doesn't work. What do I buy? What do I have? Just buy this and go from there. Maybe it's the gateway drug to the Mister. Maybe they'll just play it and love it. I don't know, but keep working on those, please. Those are such awesome projects to see. Next up, Pig Saint, who worked on updating the arcade name files for Mr. now has a new project consisting of a game database that seeks to unify all the relevant information about each title in one place. That is an incredible undertaking, and I think that's so awesome. Imagine like a library of games and game info. And yeah, Wikipedia has a lot of stuff like that, but Wikipedia also focuses on things that maybe people... Nerds like us would not would want more, I guess is the better way to say it. So definitely thank you to Pig Saint for working on this. And uh, there's a free Patreon post if you want to read about the project and, and see more info. Uh, the Mr. FPGA Discord Game of the Month is Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis, which is available on DOS, Amiga, and Mac. And this Game of the Month differs from the Discord Game Challenge in that it discusses the game instead of players competing in it. Okay. Uh, next, uh, N64 updates include YUV texture support, fixed flame rendering, and other rendered bug fixes. So Robert's just really digging in and getting all the bugs worked out, making this a really solid and pretty incredible core to see. Next up, Pierco has been working on video output for the Fujitsu FM7 core and is moving on to the keyboard interface. A dump of the MCU is not available, so he has to develop a whole keyboard matrix. Wow, that's a lot of work. Thank you for that. Uh, Anton Gale has gotten music working for the arcade game Venture, but the game still hangs because of an uh, incomplete Riot chip implementation. And lastly, Hotego uh, fixed an issue with the MCU that now helped get Body Slam and Quartet working for the System 16 core. Paradius Da is now booting, and Hotego believes he could have this core fully implemented in one or two weeks. So as usual, please make sure to subscribe to Lou. I could never keep up with all this stuff without him. And uh, thanks to everybody involved in all the Mr. Projects because you're all awesome. And I think we all appreciate all the stuff. Greg from LaserBear is now selling a remote control mount that fits either the RetroTank 4K's remote or the similar-looking premium upgrade remote for the RetroTank 5X. The price is only about $8 plus shipping, and there's options for either just the mount, it'll come with some zip ties, so if you're mounting it to a post, like maybe a post on a retro card or something, that'll be pretty easy. And there's also an option for one with 3M mounting tape, which is that very industrial strength tape that it's kind of a pain to get off. I mean, it really, it, it does do a great job adhering whatever you have to whatever surface you have. So this is one of those fun things where if you're like, I just keep all my remotes in a drawer. Why would I need that? You don't. But there are many of us out there that will probably look at this picture and, and hear this and go, oh, that's perfect. I could have like a holster for my RetroTink remote, and it's cheap, so why not? So, yeah, I absolutely love stuff like this, and I appreciate that Greg takes the time to make these. So if you're interested, check out the post with all the links. Uh, if you want to buy the upgraded RetroTink 5X remote, I have them all on the RetroTink page right on RetroRGB. All the links to sellers uh, in the U.S., U.K., and Germany are all here. So whatever you need, it's right there in the post. And uh, yeah, stuff like this is cool. I hope Greg keeps making them.
Consoles for You is now selling a flex cable that restores S video capabilities to certain PAL and 64s. The price is about $18 plus shipping, and there's also a bundle that knocks about 10 bucks off the price total that also includes a fully shielded S video cable. Both are available from the same link if you just want to get the cheaper bundled. This is a pretty easy option for people looking to restore that capability, but there's some backing up to do. So let's just kind of take a step back and explain why this is necessary and important and why or if this is something that might apply to you. So first, all of the N64 PAL editions uh, came with the later model video chip. So N uh, NTSCs, the original launch edition and maybe one or two other motherboard revisions had a VDC NUS chip that allowed for a very easy RGB enable. So you could just get RGB that way. It's, you know, it's one of those super easy drop the chip over the multi out solder three or four wires and you're done type of installations which somehow people still manage to screw up and fill with glue. But anyway, the PAL N64s never had this option. So if you wanted RGB or HDMI, you had to use a very complicated method of installation that are about the same complexity for both HDMI or RGB. And if you're into that, awesome. That's a perfectly good solution. But what if you just wanted a signal that's a little better than composite, but you don't have the money or the skill to do that and you just wanted an easy way. Well, you could just plug in an S-Video cable and that would work with a bunch of different motherboard revisions. But what if you have the very popular NUS CPU P03 motherboard that's a Pikachu or some Fantastic models? You were basically screwed. You had to try to do a manual restoration. There was info on that that uh, Jan from Consoles for You posted uh, and I, I reposted here on Retro RGB a while back. But it's still not easy. I don't know if I would call it hard, but it wasn't a really easy thing to do. And it's certainly not something just a beginner would, would just give a shot. Whereas now you have the ability to do that. If you have one of those models, you could just grab this flex cable. Um, you have to cut two traces, which isn't hard. You just have to be careful and solder it to the multi-out, which is as easy as you could possibly imagine. And then wrap the flex cable around and get it soldered to those pins on that smaller MAV chip. And that isn't easy. Now, I think a beginner could do it. Just watch Tito's videos, watch Voltar's videos, check out any flex cable installation, and just know that this flex cable is not as fine pitched as some of the other ones. But the theory is the same. Get it lined up, put some tape on it, tack down one pin, make sure everything's still lined up, then try to go through the other pins, use flux, use a little bit of solder. So if it bridges, you could just work your way through it. I really do think that beginners could do this with a tiny bit of practice. So go get yourself a junk piece of electronics at the dump or something, practice on that, uh, and then give this a shot. But I think this is a fairly cheap and easy way to restore S-Video. And I'm really glad that Jan was able to bring this product out because while this isn't going to, you know, this is going to revolutionize N64 and it does seem like kind of a niche product, I think a lot of people are going to end up buying this one, in, including experts who could have very easily done the S-Video restoration themselves, but now they just have a way more elegant and nicer looking way to do it. Because I think a lot of times now when you open up consoles that have been modded in the past, if it's something that looks really good, people will go, oh, I wonder what this is. Read the writing on the side, go look it up. But if it's just a mess of wires, even if the mod came out fine, people are going to go, was the console broken? Maybe just 
pull all this stuff out and redo it, even if it was a totally perfect installation. So I'm glad it's a nice, elegant solution that makes things easier on people. So all the links for anything you need are right here in the post. Well, sorry to end this on a favor down note or whatever you want to call this, but the eBay Partner Network, the eBay Affiliate Link Program, has been sending me some really nasty emails asking me to comply to their ridiculous rules for affiliate links. And I was wondering if any of you had an in there, do any of you work there? Can anybody talk to somebody and have them talk to me like a human? Because they're asking me to do things like put permanent banners on the top of every web page, including pages that don't have any affiliate links at all. And Justin from Console Kits was nice enough to do, to have a little pop-up so you could just click out of it if you want. They said that's not good enough. It has to be permanent on every single page, even if you have to click it off in order for it to remove it. So, And on top of that, they're trying to get me in trouble for using eBay affiliate links in social media because they don't like calling it an affiliate link. They wanted me to call it an ad or a sponsored post, but that's a lie. They're, if I'm like, hey, look at this cool thing that just went up on eBay, that's not an ad. Nobody's sponsoring me. I'm just sharing a link and then saying affiliate link. But they're, they're saying that by doing that, by saying, hey, look, here's a cool thing I found on eBay. Here is an affiliate link. They're saying that's against their new rules, which is ridiculous and Absolutely. I just, I, I can't understand what's going on. I don't know if there's a language barrier. I don't know if they outsourced it to people that really aren't fluent in English. I don't know if I just got one rep that hates me for whatever reason. And which is weird because I've had eBay affiliate links on the website since the website started. And the, the analytics say that while I barely make anything off of this anymore, I've made them a lot of money. So it's, pretty awful to be treated like this. So can any of you help? Do, do any of you know anybody there or have any kind of in? Or are there any lawyers listening that are like, no, that's illegal. They can't tell you to lie about that and could send something because they're threatening to shut down my eBay affiliate account, which isn't a big deal. It wouldn't be as big as shutting down like Patreon revenue, but all of this stuff is starting to add up. And after taking the website ads off, that was, you know, that was pretty brutal too. But I just, I was tired of hearing people blame me because they got an ad for a dildo not realizing that the cookies on their computer are what bring these ads up not me on retro rgb so whatever but uh yeah i don't know i'm sorry to end on a, a sour note here i just really don't know what to do you know it's my my angry nature is wants me to tell them just cancel my account and i'm going to delete every ebay link off the site but they're actually very helpful for a lot of people and that's another source of revenue gone. So I would love to have some help with this one because I don't want to put, I don't want to keep this banner on retro RGB. I think it's stupid. And I also don't want to lie about my posts. Here's a sponsored eBay post. It's not, it's just me sharing something with an affiliate link. So I would love to have any help possible, but anyway, thank you to everybody who watches, listens, plays nicely in the comments. And especially thank you to people who support because without you, I'd be a lot more scared about losing my affiliate account for eBay. But anyway, thank you all so much. I really appreciate you and I will see you all next week. This week's roundup is brought to you by Neo Paradigm Entertainment, connecting Southeast Asian influencers with opportunities in the West.